Warning, the following podcast may discuss topics of violence that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to episode one of Above and Beyond. I'm your host, Philip Kesterson, and before we get started, I would like to say thank you to everyone tuning in, and I hope to see you in the next episode. Uh, Tonight, we're actually going to talk about somebody who, eh, on the scale of history, he wasn't really on the radar for very long, uh, but the circumstances surrounding his military career and where it ended kind of solidified his position in history. Uh, We are, of course, talking about William Barrett Travis. Now, for those of you who don't know who this is, or you just need a refresher, uh, William Barrett Travis was the commanding officer for the Texan forces at the uh, Battle of Alamo in 1836. Um, I wanted to start with him because, like I said, he kind of goes under the radar of history. Uh, He was only 27, 27 years old when he led one of the most famous last stands in not only American history and Texas history, but world history, at least in my opinion, world history. But at the end of the day, the question is, was he a hero? Was he a traitor? Eh, I don't know. We're going to find out together. So let's get into this. So Travis was born either August 1st or August 9th of 1809. Uh, He was the oldest of 11 children. And the reason that his birthday is debated is because one of his siblings were born about around the same time. And records are kind of unclear from almost 200 years ago, so it's a little bit harder to pinpoint exactly when uh, he was born. But it is accepted that it was either the first or the second, of, or first or the ninth. I'm sorry, of August, and the year was 1809. Um, he was born in Saluda County, South Carolina, and he lived there. Uh, he worked there. He went to school there. And while he was there, he actually grew up with uh, another kid named James Butler Bonham who actually also was at the Battle of Alamo, which is kind of funny. It's a thing of the world is small, but 1836 America was smaller. In 1818, he moved from Saluda County, South Carolina, to Conica County, Alabama, after his father visited Alabama and was like, hey, this place is, is pretty good. It's not so bad. So he moved his family there. Uh, while there, he started practicing law and had an apprenticeship under a guy named James Dellett. And on October 26, 1828, he married a woman named Rosanna Cato. And then the following year, on August 8, 1829, he had their first of two children. Uh, The first was a a son named Charles Travis. Rosanna and William's relationship wasn't bad. I mean, it's kind of hard to find stuff specifically about what their relationship was about. But what is known is that William Barrett Travis had issues. He gambled. uh, He ran out with whores. Uh, he drank a lot, just kind of the, the run-of-the-mill stuff. And now what I'm about to say is heavy speculation. It's hard to find something that says what I'm about to say is true. It's hard to find something that says what I'm about to say is false. But the legend says, and I say legend so that you can leave it up to yourself to decide which fo- side of the fence you fall on. Uh, supposedly, supposedly, while Rosanna was pregnant with their second child, a daughter, uh, William was questioning the legitimacy of him being her father. 
and he ended up killing somebody over it. Now, there's no hard evidence of this, but it, it's pretty, I don't want to say widely accepted, but it, it's heavily speculated that this did actually happen, and he fled to Texas to get away from legal troubles or just to run away from it. I don't know. I wasn't there. You weren't there. Yeah. Uh, but when he moved to Texas, he gained land from someone named Stephen F. Austin, who later comes into play, and he established a law practice in Anahawk, which is a, a port city on the Galveston Bay. Travis had a lot of issues with Mexican officials because Anahawk and most of this part of Texas at the time was controlled by Mexico. And honestly, a lot of U.S. travelers or settlers that moved into the Texas territory, they had a lot of issues with Mexican law and Mexican officials because Mexican law said if you were a settler and you move to Mexican territory, you had to give up your slaves, uh, you had to become a Catholic, and you had to become a Mexican citizen. A lot of settlers were like, yeah, we'll do that. But spoiler alert, they don't do that. It causes problems. Stay tuned. Uh, one of the biggest issues was the law of April 6th, 1830. Basically, what it did was the Mexican government were having so much issues with these settlers not abiding to their rules that they just banned U.S. immigration to Texas. And when Travis moved to Anahawk, he actually broke this law. But it, eh, whatever. And he very obviously opposed the law. And he banded with a group who believed the same with them. They were like a militia force that just did not get along with the Mexican government. There was actually a clash in 1832 when a commander of the Mexican garrison, who was a, technically a, an American named Colonel John Bradburn, he uh, was harboring some runaway slaves. And another officer, whose na uh, name was William Logan, was told to basically arrest John Bradburn and to get these slaves back. Well, Travis decided he was going to get in on this. So what he did was he went to John Bradburn and basically he told him that William Logan was securing a large force and that he was going to get the slaves back. But the truth was, he wasn't even in the area. Bradburn still raised all of his forces and moved around the area trying to outmaneuver William Logan, but it's hard to outmaneuver someone that's not even there, you know? And when Bradburn realized that it was a, just a blatant lie, he had Travis arrested. Well, supporters of Travis uh, gathered to break him out, and it was such a large force that they had gathered that Bradburn called for the Mexican military to come in to help. But when the Mexican army got there, they knew they were outnumbered, and they basically said, there's nothing we can do, we're outnumbered, you're going to have to release Travis or there's going to be a problem. So we did. Um, the entire event led to a lot, a lot of clashes between uh, Mexican government and local militia, and eventually it led to that uh, immigration law of April 6th to be repealed. Um, from here, Travis kind of stirred the pot and then dipped. Uh, he actually moved to San Felipe uh, not long after this, and it's funny because here he met another woman, and this woman's name was Rebecca Cummings, and he basically told her that he was going to marry her whenever he divorced Rosanna. Well, Rosanna filed officially for divorce in 1834, and she cited that the reason for divorce was desertion, which if you've ever seen... And I know that this can't be used for historical practice or historical research, per se, but it is a good movie. The 2004 uh, Alamo movie, the Dennis Quaid, Billy Bob Thornton, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. It may not be 
accurate, but it's still good. Uh, there's actually uh, one of my favorite scenes because it's kind of comical where William Barrett Travis and his wife and their kids are in a room. They're talking about his divorce. And he's listing off reasons, and he's like, it's adultery, abandonment, blah, 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 blah. He's like, I don't really know which one to choose. And she looks at him, and she's like, honestly, any of those will suffice. And he's like, I'll just put desertion, whatever. And it's it, it it's funny to me. I don't know. It, it's a funny scene to me. But he did end up officially divorcing Rosanna. The proceedings went through and everything. And he never actually married Rebecca Cummings because... The Texas Rebellion was starting to gain traction around this time. So he kind of focused all his attention on that and for the rest of his days. Um, now, remember Stephen Austin from earlier, the guy who gave Travis the land initially when he moved to the Texas Territory? Well, he got jailed in 1838, and he was kind of seeing whatever the reverse of a martyr is. Like, when he was put in jail, hostilities between these militia forces and the Mexican army kind of stalled a little bit until about 1835. And it's about this time that it's important to bring in another character, another major character in the Alamo scene. That is the Mexican commander, uh, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Uh, it was around this time that he stationed Captain Antonio Tenorio at Anahawk. And while Captain Antonio Tenorio was stationed at Anahawk, William Travis had convinced about 25 men to go into the town with him and to get rid of these Mexican forces that were there. And they did so pretty easily. Um, the troops that were stationed there, they got caught by surprise and they were overwhelmed pretty quickly. This event actually caused public opinion of Travis to turn because I said, as I said before, when Stephen Austin was jailed, uh, hostilities kind of settled a little bit. Um, yeah, Texas settlers saw Travis as a troublemaker, and the Mexican military officially declared him an outlaw, and they said that Texas needed to turn him over to them. Um, but instead of you know him turning over, he actually just dipped, and he traveled to Gonzales in October of 1835 to try to join the engagements that were taking part there against the Mexican army. But by the time he arrived, most of them had been over, or they just weren't happening. Um, however, Governor Henry Smith gave Travis the rank of Lieutenant Colonel and said that he needed to travel to San Antonio to assist Colonel James C. Neal um, in his adventures against the Mexican Army. Travis could only get about 29 men with him, and when he got to San Antonio, uh, Colonel Neal actually had to take leave, so he gave Travis command. And it was about the same time that is when Jim Bowie arrived here uh, with a handful of his own men, somewhere around 100 or so. And the two constantly argued over who was in charge and who was it until it was agreed that Travis would control the regulars and Jim Bowie would uh, control the volunteers. So now that we've talked about how William Barrett Travis ended up at the Alamo, it's important to talk about uh, why exactly the Battle of Alamo was fought and like what led up to it and whatnot. Um, as I said before, there were a lot of problems between the Texan settlers and the Mexican government. Uh, the settlers that moved to Mexico-controlled Texas had to convert to Catholicism and officially become Mexican citizens, but few did either. Um, the settlers also brought slaves with them, which was a major issue with the Mexican government because slavery was illegal. Um, overall, issues between the U.S. settlers and the Mexican officials 
prior to the battle were based around federalism, uh, slavery, immigration issues like the the law of April 6, 1830, as I said earlier, that banned immigration, and of course money. Uh, money is always a big factor when it comes to pretty much anything. Um, one of the fa- first major engagements of the Texan Revolution is the Battle of Gonzales. Um, in 1831, the Mexican government lent Gonzales a cannon for protection. Uh, tensions between settlers and the government caused a colonel to send about 100 dragoons to secure the gun on September 29, 1835. And the settlers refused to give it back and very famously cried, come and take it. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's I feel like come and take it or come and get them is kind of a, an American war crime War cry, not war crime. My apologies. Uh, the cannon that is used is actually on display in Gonzales Memorial Museum today. And uh, the settlers voted to attack the Mexican troops after they cried, come and take it. Uh, but they were repelled. And on the morning of October 2nd, the Mexican soldiers that had just defeated the Texans fell back. Uh, this is widely considered to be the first major engagement of the Texas Revolution, and sometimes, and I hear it, I've heard it before, and I've read it a lot while I was researching this episode, um, I've heard it called the Lexington of Texas, which is a callback, of course, to Lexington and Concord, which were the first battles of the American Revolution. Um, the next major battle is the Battle of Bexar on December 5th through December 9th of 1835. Uh, there were Texans camped outside of Mexican-controlled San Antonio, and many of Texans began returning home, and others wanted to abandon the siege because it was going on for a long time. They were losing uh, time. They were losing money. It was just it was be- the, the whole thing was becoming a hassle, and some of them wanted to just call it quits. However, there was a soldier who, seeing his men, uh, their morale getting depleted. He very confidently stood up and said, who will follow old Bill Millam into San Antonio? And he convinced about 300 men, including local uh, Juan Seguin, who is an important player in the Alamo siege. uh, He convinced them to go into San Antonio and they took it. And this is pretty much how officially the Alamo landed in the hands of the Texans because they secured San Antonio, which of course allowed them to secure the Alamo, which was in San Antonio. Um, on about February 3rd, April 36th, that's when William Travis officially came into San Antonio. And as I said earlier, he came in with about 30 volunteers or so to aid in defense of the town. And he was ordered there by Governor Henry Smith to help James Neal and James Bowie. Bowie had arrived about a month earlier with instructions to actually blow up the Alamo and just leave. But he decided he wasn't going to do that. It was between him and James Neal. They decided that they weren't going to do that, that they wanted to defend it. And James Bowie is actually uh, credited with saying he would rather die in these ditches than give up the post to the enemy. And there weren't a lot of Texans at the Alamo uh, initially. And like, kind of like the same thing with the siege of Antonio, the ones, the Texans who took San Antonio were now inside the Alamo and their morale was again draining. However, their morale took a spike up with the arrival of a famous Tennessean named David Crockett. Uh, He arrived on February 8th, 1836, and he greatly helped boost the morale of the men. Uh, It's kind of cool, actually. Uh, David Crockett, very interesting life. 
I could probably do a whole podcast on him, but he doesn't really have that big of a military career. His, my hometown is actually uh, of Morristown, Tennessee, is actually where he spent most of his life. There's a Crockett Tavern Museum in town. Uh, why he decided to go is because he ran for the Senate seat for Tennessee and he lost and he very famously stood up and said, well, you can all go to hell. I'm going to Texas. So he went to Texas around this time. James Neal left the Alamo. Uh, I believe it was February 11th. He left the Alamo and he placed Travis in charge. Now Bowie and Travis argued back and forth over who was really in charge of the Alamo. Uh, Travis was inexperienced, but he was a higher rank officially in the army. Bowie just controlled volunteers. And it was agreed between the two that William Travis would control the regulars and uh, Jim Bowie would stick to the volunteers. Um, these are uh, most of the issues that I'm talking about. If you want to watch the 2004 uh, Alamo movie, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about in this episode are either shown or they are referenced in the movie. Um, it, you can't really use it for research. You can't really do that with a lot of Hollywood movies. But it is, it is, it is a pretty good one. So when Travis secured San Antonio, he set up defenses around the city, which is what would be expected. What is important to note is that he did not expect the Mexican army to arrive in town until at least mid to late March. What he did not know, however, is that Santa Ana found out that San Antonio had fallen to the Texans. So he marched extra fast through the winter, and he ended up showing up at the Alamo on February 18th, over a month before anybody expected him to be. So when they showed up, Travis, knowing he could no longer defend the city against such a larger army, fell back into the Alamo, and that is why they held up there. Overall, the Battle of the Alamo lasted from February 23rd to March 6th, 1836. And in total, the Mexican army had about 1,800 to 6,000 troops, whereas the Texans were only holed up in the Alamo with about 250 troops. So from the start, the odds were not in their favor. The Texans could really do little but watch the Mexican army surround their position and set up uh, offensive positions against them. Um, while they're in the Alamo, they watch as Santa Ana raises a flag that says death to the traitors, and he lets it known that there will be no, sh mo no mercy shown to anyone in the Alamo. How did the Texans respond? Well, in true Texan fashion, they fired an 18-pounder cannon directly at Santa Ana's position upon hearing that there would be no mercy given. A small engagement followed the uh, firing of the cannon, but nothing really came out of it. When the army arrived, Travis knew how outnumbered he was, so right away he started sending all kind of letters out asking for help. The most famous one was sent out on February 24th, which is his victory or death letter. Basically, Jim Bowie fell sick. What exactly he fell sick with? Well, it's not entirely known, but what is known is that by him falling sick, his, the troops under his command, the volunteers, fell under Travis's command. So now, William Barrett Travis commands all the forces at the Alamo. One of the letters he writes, he sends it out. It goes to Gonzalez first. From Gonzalez, 24, 24, 25 cavalrymen show up to the aid. But what's important about this letter is he, he says in it, quote, If the call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country, victory or death. End quote. This letter was delivered personally to Sam Houston by uh, once again, once again, again, is the local Mexican who'd been helping the Texans. He helped secure uh, San Antonio two months prior. Upon hearing this letter, 
Colonel Fannin begins marching to Travis's aid from Goliad on February 26th, but through, due to weather and due to the fact that they could not get over this one river, his uh, movement was slow. It eventually boiled down to he decided he was not going to be able to make it, and he returned to Goliad the next day on February 27th. The issue is that the, the defenders at the Alamo knew that he was coming from Goliad, but they did not know he turned back. So majority of the time of them waiting there, they were waiting for reinforcements that were not going to show. Now I'm going to start throwing out some dates about some important things that happened in relation to this. On February 27th, Travis's victory or death letter is turned into a handbill by Governor Smith, and it is read to all that was listened. It was published by uh, papers all over the country, and basically the eyes of the nation were on the Alamo at the time. Travis's victory or death letter initially started in Gonzales, and on March 1st, 32 men uh, cavalrymen came to the Alamo's aid. On March 2nd, 1836, the Texas Declaration of Independence is signed. On March 3rd, James Butler enters the Alamo alone, informing T Travis that men were coming from Goliad, not knowing that Fannin had turned back. So this also further pushed the idea that they thought they were getting reinforcements from Goliad. Now somewhere in this time frame, there is a legend that basically says that Travis drew a line in the sand and told all of his men, he said, if you cross this line, you can leave. We will let you leave on a white flag. That'll be the end of it. No one will think you're a coward. Um, but if you choose to stay here, then I will be eternally grateful. And basically, we're going to fight to the death. There's no hard evidence that this was said because, spoiler alert, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but nobody in the Alamo survived. So it's a little hard to say what exactly happened. This may just be... Um, propaganda to push the Texas Revolution, or it may have happened. Uh, we'll never really know. Um, the night of March 5th, Mexican artillery fell silent after 12 straight days of bombard uh, bombarding, and Santa Ana wished to rush the attack. He wanted His generals wanted to wait a little bit. His generals wanted to uh, try to come to peace, because at the end of the day, a lot of the settlers that were in the Alamo were friends with a lot of uh, the Mexican army, because they lived together. Like Davy Crockett, who was in the Alamo, he was famous in Mexico. He was famous in the United States. But Santa Ana went against the protest of his generals and wanted to rush the attack, and he wanted, them all, he wanted all the Texans dead, basically. So that's why he rushed it. So on March 6th, 1836, this is the main attack of the Battle of Alamo. The Mexican army attacks in force very, very early in the morning. And sadly, I mean, as we all know, the story goes... The Alamo and all of her defenders fell before sunrise. Um, it is said that Travis uh, was killed very, very early in the fight while defending the northern wall. Uh, he was defending artillery, or he was commanding artillery on that side. But as I said before, where nobody survived, it's very hard to uh, tell exactly what would happen. Um, but after, after the battle was over, the Mexican army gathered up all the body of the Texans. Uh, they burned them. They, they put them all in a pile and they burned them and they buried them somewhere. And and ultimately, that's what led up to the rise and the fall of the Alamo. And afterwards, there was Texans were mad because at the end of the day, 250 of their you know fellow men had just been slaughtered, essentially. Uh, with there being no mercy shown, there was a, a lot of resentment towards the Mexican army. Uh, Sam Houston, who was commanding... Uh, a lot of the 
Texan forces at the time, he was getting a lot of flack because they were saying that he wasn't doing anything. Colonel Fannin obviously was under flack because he had turned back. Uh, Juan Seguin had personally left some of his own men, some locals, in the Alamo, and he promised he would return with reinforcements. But once he left, he was never able to come back, so he probably had very serious survivor guilt. Well, now let's look at what happened after the Battle of the Alamo, like the aftermath of it. Um, on March 19th and 20th of 1836, so about two weeks after the battle, uh, the Alamo was this thing called the Battle of Coletto Creek. Uh, Texans under Fannin defended. Uh, Fannin was wanting to make a name of himself. He's wanting to redeem himself for not getting to the Alamo. And honestly, a lot of the Texans that fought after the fall of the Alamo, they were just out for revenge. They were out for cold-hearted revenge. And Fannin had held up in this little creek and... Him and some Texans, um, I'm not exactly sure the numbers, it was, it was around, I want to say like six, 700, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, they defended their position, but after nightfall, they just, they knew they were out of ammo. They knew that they were overwhelmed, so they surrendered. Well, on March 27th, about a week after Fannin and his men surrendered, Santa Ana ordered the prisoners that had surrendered, he ordered them to be executed. There's about 300 or so were executed, and the only reason that we know that this happened is because some of those prisoners who were supposed to be executed um, had actually escaped, and they pretty much told the story. So this just enraged people more. Uh, fast forward a little, about a month, April 21st, 1836. This is the key battle following the Alamo, and this is the Battle of San Jacinto. Uh, basically, at it, Santa Ana had about 1,200 men. Uh, Sam Houston had about 900 under his command. And Sam Houston had been falling back, falling back, falling back, further pulling Santa Ana into a trap. And then when Santa Ana was camping at one point with his men, Sam Houston and his Texans unleashed hell upon them. And it was a, it was a bloodbath. The, the whole battle lasted about 20 minutes. Uh, the Mexican army, the ones that could get away from the initial attack, got caught in a river. And the Texans pretty much just lined the side of the river and gunned them down. It, it, was, it was a slaughter. And is it justified, though? I don't know. For a Texan, yeah, it's completely justified. But at the end of the day, an eye for an eye, you know, all that. Um, Santa Ana is actually captured at this battle. And about a month later, or about two months later, sorry, on May 14, 1836, Santa Ana signs the Treaty of Velasco giving Texas, officially giving Texas its independence. However, the Mexican government doesn't really recognize this until the end of the Mexican-American War about 12 years later. So Texas, their thing was, they said that Santa Ana was a prisoner of war, so therefore he wasn't technically representing the Mexican government and he couldn't sign any treaties. But then after the Mexican-American War, um, it was kind of solidified that Texas now was its own thing, and it would remain its own thing for, for a while. Now, that's pretty much the story of William Barrett Travis and the Alamo Defenders. Um, in 1936, for the 100th year anniversary of the battle, um, some remains were discovered in the Cathedral of San Fernando, and these remains were thought to be the remains of the Alamo Defenders. It's, it's hard to tell because they didn't wear like military uniforms and stuff, so it's hard to like pinpoint that that's who they were. But they were brought up, and in 1938, they were put on public view, and you can still go down there today to San Antonio and see them. 
Well, that all about do it for this episode. I want to thank you all for sticking around. I hope to see you in the next one. Uh, if you could leave a rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be incredibly helpful. This episode was written and directed by me, Philip Kesterson, and I will catch you next week on Above and Beyond. Thank you. <laughs>